Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We are your weekly source for all things Star Trek, whether it's movie reviews, episode reviews, talking about all the new casting stuff, gaming, you know it. It's Star Trek and I am one of your usual hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me as always are Derek and Jeremy. Guys, Derek, go ahead and introduce yourselves again. Hey everybody, good to be back to talk trek yes hello i am jeremy we're talking jeremy's favorite topic today which is star trek the original series i mean this one was not as bad as the other one this one at least the felt other comfortable. one <laughs> yeah i mean the other one like it's oh god my other disease <laughs> this i assume you're referring to the cage yes and because today we're gonna be talking about movies. Well, okay, fair enough. Uh, but I assumed you were specifically comparing this episode to the cage. Yes, this okay. this pilot of the original series is much better than the other pilot of the original series. Fair enough, fair enough. So we are, yeah, we're talking about where no man has gone before the second pilot ever created for Star Trek. So, uh, but before we dive into that, though, we do have a new format that we're going with that I just wanted to explain to everybody. So this week and last week, we reviewed the first two episodes of Star Trek, the original series, The Cage, and now where No Man Has Gone Before. But we are changing things up from this point forward, and we are going to be pairing a good episode with a not-so-good episode. So what we are going to do is we went through um, and picked up from IMDb's ratings the top four and bottom four rated episodes from each season of Star Trek. And we are going to basically pair them off in a bracket-style system. So next week, we are going to be talking about City on the Edge of Forever and The Alternative Factor. So we're only pairing up seasons, so you're going to see season one episodes paired and then season two episodes paired and so forth. And uh, the week after that will be The Balance of Terror as well as Mud's Women. So you can kind of see the the weird balances we're going to see here. Some of Star Trek's best along with some of Star Trek's worst, I guess. Um, it should allow us to hit more episodes, cover more ground more quickly and not dawdle, so to speak. Well, and if you think about it, it's a kind of a it's an entertaining format. It's a little different, kind of more unique. And, you know, it's easy to do a podcast when you only talk about only the good or only the bad. Now yeah. we're going to kind of mix it up. Like, yeah, I like the sense that we're not dawdling in this thing that is the utmost waste of time for anyone <laughs> creating it or listening to it. Hey now, hey now. <laughs> um, and uh one other thing I wanted to mention is that in between seasons 
and shows, we may throw some other episodes in there talking about maybe some some top lists of our favorite ships or favorite particular you know alien species and types of episodes. We may, may maybe pitch some of our own ideas like the Quentin Tarantino movie that we pitched a while back. So it's not going to be just episode reviews, but when we do episode reviews, this is the format we're going to be using for the time being. For the original series anyway. For the original series, yeah. We'll we'll see what happens when we are done with that. Maybe we'll go to the animated series. Who knows? Yeah. But this way, it's not going to be 79 episodes of just straight original series reviews. Yep. <laughs> so, all right. So let's, let's do this. Where No Man Has Gone Before. The second episode ever produced, but the third episode to air on TV. <laughs> so it came out September 22nd, 1966. It takes place in the year 2265. With our Captain Kirk. Where do you guys want to start? First off, with the name uh, of the episode, Where No Man Has Gone Before, the whole point, like, they go to where other people, they follow a distress signal, and the entire (laughs) episode, they're following the trail of people who had been there before. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) That thing that I just said is what I'm talking about. What are you talking about? (laughs) Can I admit that that's never occurred to me? (laughs) You certainly can. It's never occurred to me. Um, but, I mean, they're supposed to be going beyond that. That was the idea, right, was to get farther than that. Right, which is interesting. Like, so their their mission was to leave the galaxy, and they get to the edge of the galaxy and are turned back by crazy alien nonsense? Yeah, so that's, that's one thing I, I like to kind of bring up here is that there's some real inconsistencies – that begin with this episode the the star dates are a little bit askew and then we have the whole like leaving the galaxy yeah thing which i mean i know later in star trek 5 one of the franchise's shining moments they go to the center of the galaxy to meet god but most of the time in star trek leaving the galaxy is usually a bad thing look i'll be honest the only star dates i actually understand are in the new abrams movies because they're actually just that? using the day month or the year month day format. Hey, Enterprise did. Well, that. Enterprise did that too. You're right. I I apologize. I'm not the, I'm not the biggest <laughs> knowledge of Enterprise, but you're right. It's those are the only star dates I understand because if you know if you watch Next Generation, it's like star date four five six seven three one two five point two, and I'm like what? I'm like that. That's like pie. I'm like what did you just say, Picard? So the the star dates I'll give them a break on. In Next Generation, who cares? It's not like you're going like, wait, this is two months after the last episode? This is insane. It's like everything is very timeless. Look, Jeremy, maybe generation. you weren't, but okay. we, we were. Sorry. The the original <laughs> series, the the, time, the, the the star dates don't really make a whole lot of sense. But they did, like in TNG, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, there is consistency to it. Yeah. And you can actually watch the episodes in star date order appropriately and all that, and it works. The original series, that's not the case. Even though with Discovery, they're they're trying. Yeah. Right? So, so like, this episode takes place in 2265. It's star date 1312.4. And Star Trek Discovery, the first episode, um, Vulcan Hello, is 2256, star date 1207.3. Hmm. I mean, they're trying. They're trying. Yeah. Well, they also had a much more optimistic uh, 
take on our advancement as a species with space travel because they uh i mean not only did they say that the the probe that they find at the beginning of this episode is over two centuries old which means we would have reached uh the edge of the galaxy with a manned spacecraft in what like 40 years from now which is seems optimistic uh but they reference uh, a book of poetry that's written on a space colony in 1996 (laughs) it's like wow we did not we did not get there in 30 years from when they made this well don't forget and you've seen the wrath of khan now so this is this is something that you've seen the botany bay khan ship gets lost in space in 1996 (laughs) it's a big year after the eugenics war. So we've all survived the eugenics war. Congratulations. Everyone. Yeah, let's be happy that never actually happened. <laughs> you know, a race of yes. superhumans that conquered, like, what, a quarter of the world in, <laughs> like, three years? In fact, a race of deferior humans has currently taken over the U.S. government. Oh. Wah, wah. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm all rounded no, by it, your hat, Greg. <laughs> it's a good point though uh they they do go out to find this other ship that's been lost for 200 years i guess um which is a little weird that that would be their mission um uh, and they run into this barrier right they can't get past this barrier which is responsible for giving people esp and blowing up parts of the ship <laughs> with one of the uh weirdest interpretations of what esp is it's it's defined as like precognition and increased uh, intelligence and telekinesis and <laughs> telekinesis. You basically turn into an X Men. Yeah. In fact, they use the word mutant. They t- they actually use the term mutant, which I thought was interesting. Uh, they also use the term like... materializer instead of Scotty says, <laughs> "Let's bring this this pod in on the materializer," but then they say teleport later on. Says I. They hadn't quite settled on a name yet, I guess. Not quite, not quite. But they did have a psychiatrist on board, which is interesting because people made such a big deal about TNG doing that with Troy. But here we've got Dr. Danner, and she is a psychiatrist. Yeah, they say it a bunch of times. A bunch of times. You just That's be a psychiatrist is. for one second. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean... To your point about the transporter, there are some other inconsistencies. We've got Sulu wearing blue and Spock wearing, what is that, beige? Yeah, yellow beige. You know? So the colors aren't quite settled yet. People's roles aren't quite settled yet. They still have their crazy uh, aluminum can phasers. Yes. Mm -hmm. Most of the sets and, and props were the same because these both of these episodes were filmed fairly close together. This one was produced in 1965. Um, which, you know, the show didn't premiere until 66. Yep. It was, it was comforting to see, like, I've been looking for these, these touchstones to, to make this the original series that I know from the movies. And, uh, we, we see Scotty right off the bat in working the, the transporters and they do the thing where they call all of the senior staff to the bridge and, uh, Takei is just off to the side with no speaking role. I'm like, it's Sulu. Sulu's going to be in this. And he just kind of is there for two seconds, says nothing and leaves. And it's like, oh, well, okay. Well, because he's, he's just, uh, he's the, he's like a physicist in the credits. Oh, if you watch the end credits, <laughs> he's not even like his normal self. He's just a physicist. Hmm. 
Um, but we're still missing lots of characters. Uh, you know, we Bones is not there. We of course have uh, a different Doctor. We have is that the same one no from Uhura. the other pilot that we watched? The old is that the old same, drunken the Doctor guy? I don't remember if that's the same actor. Actually, I don't, that's I don't think really it's good. the same one. I think it's somebody different. It's kind of generic old Gen- white man. It's generic Doctor Number Three. Yeah. But, you know, I'll, I will Doctor give them a little bit of leeway for still trying to figure out what they wanted to do with the show. Like the ESP thing, I'll laugh at, but back in the 60s, nobody probably knew what the hell they were talking about when they said ESP. Well, they also said that ESP is a property of espers. I had never heard that word outside of Final Fantasy VI. Well, yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking Final <laughs> Fantasy VI is the same as you. Yeah. I'm like, am I about to cast, you know rama I'm like that's yeah. pretty badass it's like espers tara are you here hmm interesting but uh yeah wardrobe wise they were still in those yellow sweaters that were like fine and quasi futuristic until you got the reverse shot and you saw those really sloppy zippers that kind of uh warped because they they were not form-fitted they were just kind of loose sweaters with a big zipper in the back not a great look but it does it does explain how Kirk's shirt gets torn during the big fight. Yeah. It just tears right on the zipper. <laughs> well, speaking Bad of Kirk, since you mentioned him, let's be honest. Okay, this is the first episode. This is the introduction episode with William Shatner as Kirk. Mm-hmm. He literally is the same character for the entire series. I mean, from the <laughs> oh, yeah. moment from the moment he walks onto the set, and I know that's always been like the tr- the joke, right? The trope. I mean, we're all Futurama fans. When Zeb Brannigan is William Shatner, which is fine, but William Shatner as James T. Kirk is from the first two seconds on screen is the same actor as he is to the very end. Well, that's because he's not acting. He's just William Shatner. Which, that's amazing to me. That's awesome. It's just as entertaining. He does a little bit of acting. Sometimes he's angry William Shatner. Well, right, but... I mean, yes, he he is William Shatner living in this fantasy world, but it's it's not like he is veiling himself in the character of James T. Kirk. He is just like, how would William Shatner react to this? It's like, uh, yeah, like that. He is not a method actor. That is for sure. No, he is not. But it's 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 great. Like, so my big complaint with the first um, uh, pilot was that there was so little chemistry and and so little like differentiation between all these various characters we start seeing kirk uh and spock fucking around playing playing 40 chess and and him giving him a hard time about his humanity and all that stuff and it's like yes that that is what this there's there's supposed to be these relationships not just like random generic white people being stressed about things it's like they're having having some fun and flying around seeing what's out there do you like that Kirk is about to actually beat Spock at chess? Now he wasn't necessarily supposed to beat him. He was. Oh, I think he so. He was about to be beaten in chess, uh, and instead of being beaten, he did something that was annoying. And uh, I think he, I think he just extended the game by doing something that frustrated Spock. Well, because he's not logical. See, that's that's the laying the seeds of their relationship for you know forty years to come. Is that Spock is very logical and wants Kirk to be logical. <laughs> then Kirk does. You got both of you just mentioning that made me realize. Remember that Next Generation episode with uh, the 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 test battle with Riker in command of the old ship. 
Oh, and, so and the, Zach, the the Zach Dorn is there, and they challenge he challenges Data to that game, and he beats him. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, "What in the hell? How did you lose?" And then Data plays him again, and he re- and he frustrates the guy to the point where the guy quits. And like, "How'd you beat him?" He's like, "No, my goal was just to not lose." Mm-hmm. Ah, see, look, Next Generation just mirrored a, a Kirk Spock chess match. I love that episode, by the way, with the Riker maneuver. I'm just gonna oh, say that's it. a great episode. Also, speaking of Next Generation episodes that are very similar to this one, the one where Barclay uh, becomes a god and takes control of the ship. Oh, yeah. I was, I was thinking about that one this whole episode. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what Barkley did. He's slightly less evil than Gary Mitchell, but yeah. he's you are right. He basically Commander has Gary power. Mitchell, thank yeah. you. <laughs> Spock's, Spock's of... best friend that we hear about so many times, Commander Gary Mitchell. Speaking of Gary Mitchell, a lot of people thought he was going to be the big bad in Star Trek Into Darkness before Khan was confirmed. Which would have been an infinitely better movie. <laughs> yeah, It would also I, would have been I an agree. infinitely deep cut. I mean, it would have been a deep cut in the sense that people who knew would be like, oh, that's so cool. And people who didn't would just have a bad guy. Well, I mean, like, are they going to put that on the 7-Eleven promotional merchandise? Benedict Cumberbatch as Gary Mitchell. <gasps> No, but they didn't do it as Khan either, because he was James Harrison. Was he? John Harrison. John Harrison, excuse me. I thought me. it was understood that yeah. Cumberbatch was Khan. No, that was the big... So we're going off on a tangent here, but that was the big thing, was that J.J. Abrams kept telling everybody he wasn't Khan, and through Uh-oh. like the first two acts of the movie, he's John Harrison. And then when he's in the brig, he does the big reveal... I'm Khan, and, and Kirk's like, okay, I don't know who that is. Well, okay, this is, this is a good comparison, <laughs> though, because I would argue that the tension with Gary Mitchell being, is he good, is he bad, whatever, there's more tension with that in this episode than there is in Into Darkness. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's fair, but that's a low bar. It well, low it's not bar, an insult but... to Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't <laughs> mind him. It's... It's just the movie built around him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's not the yeah, problem. Yeah, he's not the problem. I mean, it's like the same thing with the, the Star Wars prequels. You know, Hayden Christensen's not the problem. You know, I Hate Sand, you know, stated by, you know, Lawrence Olivier would still be a terrible line. I mean, it's a bad line. Hayden Christensen wasn't the problem. He wasn't the solution. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but Gary really Mitchell looking... certainly thought he was the solution. Sure. So let's let's talk Gary Mitchell. Um, I, I actually think that he's a really interesting character. I love this idea that a normal guy who's best buds with the captain gets just a just all this extra power and quickly moves beyond humanity. I for the until they said his name, I thought he was like young, sexy bones. I didn't realize who he was. <laughs> That's funny. He reminds me so much of. Um, Carl Urban, is that is that who played Bones in the the Abrams movies? Yeah, yeah. He he looked and kind of acted like he did in the the Abrams movies. And I was like, oh, they they did a really good job casting Bones. This looks just like Carl Urban. Oh no, I never I never thought that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, how do you guys feel about Gary? Do you think that he pulls off the antagonist role well? Yeah, because I think there's a great build up in kind of his uh detached from humanity motivation where he's not like he 
monologues and explains his motivations as he does stuff. It's not, it's not that he's got malice towards any of these people. It's just that he's like, I'm above this and I'm, I'm going to do these things. I mean, it, it verges on Q, uh, kind of thinking in that it's just like, I, I'm, I can do this and it's fine that I do this. So I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I, I always kind of got the impression that Mitchell was willing to try to show everybody else how he got the power he got. Like, he didn't want to just be alone with this power. Like, he's the opposite of Khan. Khan liked power. He liked being in control. He liked being dominating. I never really got that impression from the Geary Mitchell character. He had power, but you never really get the impression that he's the, <clears throat> what's the, like, he's not like a, me- a megalomaniac with power. Well, he kind of gets that way towards the end. But yeah. That's, the build up to that he's not immediately just insane crazy from the moment you meet him yeah he just kind of wants to play with it for the first part as as it's developing like he kills himself to to kind of say look what i can do and then you know ends his bodily functions for 20 seconds and then comes back and says see it's like whoa that's okay it is interesting though because his downfall ends up being because he brings somebody else along. You're right. He doesn't want to be alone. He really only starts to attack the crew because Kirk and Spock don't trust him. Yeah, what what is the woman's name? The doctor? Dr. Danner? Dr. Danner? Um, Danner? It was, it was interesting because so the ship gets hit by the, the big energy wave. Uh, nine people are killed immediately throughout the ship. Uh, and then you have these two people who are both zapped. His eyes turn weird, which is our, our indicator that he's mutated. Um, but she gets hit with that thing too. And she, she definitely starts to act weird, but she doesn't manifest those powers until, I mean, near the end of the episode where he, uh, Gary grants them to her. He bestows her godhood, but she's, she definitely acts weird, right? Like, did something change in her? I don't know. Because, like, so we didn't know this character before. Right. We obviously don't get to know this character again. So it's hard to know what is her versus what are the effects. Yeah, and they also kind of present her as though she's a guest character. Like, the crew doesn't know her, and she's like, I was assigned to see how people react to trauma. Is this some trauma? This is pretty cool for me. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Like she, it's it's weird to kind of have like the guest character on your first episode, yeah. <laughs> right? Because we also don't know anybody else. They're all guests, as far as we're concerned. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's an an interesting like '60s, '70s sci-fi thing is these characters that are just like they are going to die, and it's like mm-hmm. you you introduce to these characters as though they're this integral part of the thing, and to just off them in the first episode is it's it's a bold move. Well, and if you think mm-hmm. about this as the actual pilot, and I know it's not the first episode, but they treated it like the second pilot. Is it the only Trek pilot we've had where there's not, like, an alien menace? Gary Mitchell gets powers, but if you think about it, Next Generation, the encounter of Far Point, you have the aliens that keep the other aliens as, like, buildings. For, or a star base, right. a, a board. Right. Yeah, you have Voyager with the caretaker and all the weird aliens. DS Nine with the the wormhole aliens. Discovery oh, yeah. with the Klingons, and the Enterprise. Uh, the Enterprise's opening episode has a Klingon in it, doesn't 
Yeah, I mean, the whole yeah. premise is that a Klingon gets injured on Earth and they bring him back to Kronos. Um, so that's really interesting. That's a really good point. I guess you're right. This is the only series where the the bad guy is just another human with... I don't even know. I mean, ESP, it's, it's a 1960s term, but he's basically... Jeremy's right. It's closer to, like, Q-like powers and the Q-like mentality than anything else. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't ever quite get to that Loki-style trickster, like, can change reality or anything. But he, he, from a knowledge standpoint, I mean, it is, and it is end up being more like Barkley when he becomes super Barkley, super computer Barkley. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, it's a, it's a apex level human hyper evolution, which is a very big, like comic book trope, but you don't see a lot of sci-fi doing that. No, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, it's an interesting way to look at it. It's not really something I've, I've thought about that way. Just blowing your mind left and right tonight. You are, man. This is crazy. Well, I've never had an in-depth discussion of this episode with any other person. I've written about it before on my own, but I've never had anybody else to kind of go back and forth on. So this is kind of bringing the episode into new light for me. Yeah. I mean, one of the... So talking about the alien being the enemy, there were, there was definitely a certain segment of this episode where I was like, holy shit, Spock is going to kill this guy for being a little, like for reading too fast. <laughs> like he hadn't done anything. For reading too fast. He hadn't done anything malicious yet to the point where Spock's like, well, one, we can ditch his ass on a deserted planet or we can just blast a hole through him. And it's like, hi, I'm Spock. Let's murder my co-commander. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. Cause even, even Kirk mentions, you know, abandon him on a planet where there's, like, literally no hope of a rescue of any kind. Right, there won't be another ship to come to this planet for 20 which, years. Which, if you think about it, never mind. Actually, I'm going to spoil a future episode we're going to talk about. So I don't want to spoil that. But Derek you're going to say that's going. what they do to Kirk in uh, Star Trek, the movie. Well, that's what they do to Kirk in the movie, but Derek, remember, Space Seed. Well, right, yeah, it's that's exactly right. But the thing is, is that... Spock is kind of right here, and maybe he's right for the wrong reasons, uh, and he is coincidentally right, but it ends up being that Gary becomes malicious, and is he malicious because he knows that Spock wants him dead, or is he malicious because of the power, and you know that whole thing that Kirk even says, that absolute power corrupts absolutely, um, it's kind of hard to know. Well, it's like that comment where did Gary Mitchell, and this is about a lot of villains, does he turn evil because he is evil, or is it because people keep screwing with him? And it's like, little by little, they keep ratcheting up their questions and their inquiries and all this stuff, and eventually he's like, you know what, I'm, t- I'm, I'm done. It's like whenever somebody's bit by a rattlesnake, and what's that, that Bill Burr joke? It's like, how'd you get bit by a rattlesnake? What were you doing? Were you messing with it? Were you poking it with a stick? <laughs> it's like, right. how'd you get bit? But they don't really, like, paint Gary in the best light early on in this episode. You know, you're introduced to him. He's walking down the hall, and he's, like, checking out all the women, you know, which I guess maybe in 1965 would not have been considered a negative character trait. I mean, he's Riker. 
Um, I don't think it's it, 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 Riker's anywhere near as blatant as people like to think he is. It's kind of like there's these tropes in Star Trek that we believe that I don't think actually have a real basis. Like, Kirk being a womanizer is not really a thing, and you'll see that as we continue to watch. But Gary kind of does that here, and he's, you know... He's got the one woman on the bridge, but then he forgets about her when he gets really smart because now he's got the doctor. Yeah. You know, and they're going to start their own planet with their own Eden and everything, which is, you know, creepy and weird. The one thing I was pretty confused about early on was uh, he gets his weird eyes. He goes into the sick bay. The doctor scans him and he's like, oh, you're you're perfectly fine and your eyes are weird, but you can see. And then the doctor just walks out of the room. It's like, well, why is he in sickbay then? They're not like <laughs> observing him, and he's fine. He's reading books. He's just kind of doing stuff. It's like, let him walk around. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> Leave Gary alone. I mean, I assume Kirk had an order that he should stay there. Yeah, but it's like everyone was just so blasé about it. They're just like, you have weird eyes now, huh? Okay, bye. <laughs> um yeah the eyes i thought were pretty cool i mean considering when this was made those must have been fairly uncomfortable contact lenses you think that's what it was i thought it was like uh a superimposed effect you think so i i don't know how that special effect was done i watched it on my phone so i didn't get high resolution ah i see yeah i i don't know i mean i'll look through some notes and see if there's anything out there that People may know about it, but I I did not know how that was made. There's also a moment where um, Gary was talking to Kirk about some some previous sexual conquest on some planet when they were like reminiscing. Uh, and he said she was Nova. That's <laughs> like that's it's like the uh, the prequels, the Star Wars prequels where he's like, that was wizard. It's like you can't just say a, a space thing. <laughs> as long as it's got multiple syllables, right? That was so Nova. That's, that's <laughs> I'm gonna use totally, that with my totally wife. Totally Quasar, guys. <laughs> wow, wow. But yeah, I mean, I I just couldn't I couldn't get over the fact that Spock, like that that put the Vulcan lack of lack of emotion into a very dark new light. That Spock was just so ready to kill this guy when he. The worst thing he had done was like telekinetically flip some switches in engineering that they were like, hey, cut it out. Yeah, but keep in mind, Spock also heard all of the tapes from the lost ship, the Valiant, and knew that the crew destroyed their own ship, you know, to to stop something, right? And so I think he just leapt to the conclusion that somebody was infected in a similar way. And they were willing to destroy their entire ship and sacrifice all of their lives just to stop this person. Yeah. It just, it it seemed like a pretty big jump for Spock. Well, you know, maybe you're just not as logical as he is. Not. But uh, <laughs> one thing we haven't talked about is, is kind of the core driving factor of this episode in that their warp drive is taken offline and they have no way of fixing it, which feels like a very new... Like, to be within Federation space or to be within, you know, the galaxy and just, like, warp drives offline, can we fix it? Nope. We're just, it's going to take 20 years to get to get back to Earth from 
wherever we flew to and we can't talk to anyone else in the federation and like we can't communicate with anyone that will help us we're just we're just screwed it's like oh well, okay yeah that's a little weird right um given that their their whole mission was to leave everything behind you would think they would have all of these spare parts or yeah or but, have backup somewhere you know relay satellite or a deep space number well that part makes sense though because they are supposed to be farther out than anybody else their whole goal is to go beyond everything to leave the galaxy so it makes sense that they'd be far right but they they help. fly a couple days and they're at delta vega which is a, clearly like the entire planet is is covered with these industrial factories for for mining I, what i assume is dilithium but they don't yeah, say it yet. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be like an abandoned dilithium factory, right? No, they said it was automated. Oh, automated, I'm they sorry. They said, okay. yeah, uh, that it gets like frequent uh, ships will come and, and resupply or whatever, but it's automated and it's every 20 years. Gotcha, okay. Which, I mean, is if it doesn't feel like it's within the reality that we learn about. I mean, you're right about that, but also keep in mind that they don't go to the edge of the galaxy really either i mean they, they kind of figure out that there's a problem with how much space the enterprise is traveling here in this episode that's true but is, is that you know so they kind of rein it all is in. that does that ever come up again in any star trek fiction that there's just don't don't go into the black or you'll become reapers effectively no, because, I mean, the, the Enterprise-D leaves the galaxy on multiple occasions by accident, uh, even very early in Season 1 with the Traveler right. leaves the galaxy. So, I mean, we know that it happens, um, and everybody seems relatively fine with it. Uh, it's just that specific you know, Voyager. Chunk. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, right? Like Voyager's thrown to the other end of the galaxy, and it's supposed to take them 70 years to get home. So, you know, I... If you assume that Earth is, let's let's say, the center of the map for the quadrants, right? Because Voyager's thrown to the end of the Delta Quadrant, then you know the Enterprise is still a long way from the edge of the galaxy, right? Well, and here's yeah, a I question: mean, the... since we also been talking about Discovery, how old is Gary Mitchell in the Discovery timeline? Well, I mean, he'd be ten years younger than this. Right, so if you assume that he's in his 30s, maybe, in this episode, uh, then he'd be in his 20s. Do you 20s. think we'll ever have a cameo of just a normal Gary Mitchell, you know, a lieutenant on the USS Yorktown or something? I don't know. I don't know what ship, but... I mean, you could do it, right? I mean, the, the, the thing with putting Discovery 10 years before all of this is that you could do a lot of that type of stuff. You know, characters get moved around. Kirk is still on the Farragut as a lieutenant at this time, so maybe they served together on the Farragut. Well, he, he said they'd been friends for 15 years, so they would have been together in some capacity for five years at the time of Discovery. Well, wait a second. This is 2018, right. so if they have the USS Farragut in there, it's going to be a young Captain Kirk played by Chris Pratt and a young <laughs> Gary Mitchell played by whoever. I hope it's Chris Pratt. That would be amazing. Chris, Chris Pat, Pratt, Star Lord. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing in Star Trek, man? I'm into it, but you know, I mean, it kind of it depends. I mean, they could play around with it, 
you know, um, according to Memory Alpha, the two met in 2250, right? So that's, you know, a few years before Discovery. So that's pretty easy for them to do something. If, if they wanted the Farragut to show up, they could both be on the Farragut together. Yeah, they probably won't. No, I would, I would imagine not. I think that would be a big, a big ask. But, you know, who knows? I thought it was interesting. So, uh, Spock, so known for his his uh, always successful nerve pinch, uh, is just packing heat left and right in this episode. Like, and they have to pull that big hypodermic that is like a foot and a half long. Did you guys see that thing? That was insane. When they're like <laughs> the phaser rifle. No, no, no. The when so, when they wanted to knock out uh, Mitchell to to teleport him down to the planet, they have the doctor run up on him with this thing that's supposed to be like a, a hypo uh but it, it looked like a series of chrome syringes that were like a foot and a half long that she like leans over spock and jabs him in the arm with it was the craziest thing yeah i guess that's true i, I forgot about that um but i mean part of it is that the vulcan neck pinch hadn't actually been invented in star trek yet by the vulcans <laughs> <laughs> no, just, it, you know, it hadn't been something Nimoy came up with. Because Nimoy came up with the Vulcan neck pinch because there's an episode where he is supposed to take down a couple of people. And he basically decided that Vulcans would have a more sophisticated way of dealing with such people. And so he came up with the Vulcan neck pinch. I love that moment when they were down on the planet where I think it was Scotty that was talking to Kirk. He's like, did you get that huge gun I sent you? And Kirk was like, no. And then you just see Spock walk onto set with a huge <laughs> gun. He's like... Yeah, there it is. It just feels so I love it. ridiculous for Spock to just be like, and uh, unknown to the captain, I requested this giant laser cannon so that I could blast <laughs> the hell out of my co-commander. It's just like, wow, Spock, cool it. Yeah, you gotta love the big, the big phaser rifle, man. It's good times. Yeah, it's like De- definitely a design that they refine later in Voyager to make it much more sleek. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it just looked like two Tupperwares connected by a chrome pipe. Like, you couldn't even discern what end of it was supposed to be the dangerous part. That's right. In The Next Generation, the phaser rifle is like, it looks like the TNG phaser was like glued on the front of a longer piece of weapon. Well, it's just, yeah, a straight rectangular prism i just assumed that was all a battery pack that's not what happened that's not what happened right but like but later though in voyager and then they use them in uh in star trek first contact they got pretty cool looking phaser rifles you know i think even in even in first contact they were the the phasers on the end of a big stick no no they were more they were more detailed than that, that but they were still that shape Maybe. We'll, we'll watch Maybe. it eventually. Yeah, we'll get there. We still got to talk about the purple space bazooka in Jeremy's favorite movie. <laughs> Insurrection, <laughs> baby. <laughs> um, but anyway, all right, so back, back to where no man has gone before. So they they do get down to the planet, and he just kind of starts offing people, uh, sort of. He kills the one dude. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, Lieutenant Kelso. But what's interesting here is that he kills Kelso with, like, a tube with using his mind, but then he just, like, zaps and knocks out Kirk and Spock. So, 
that's a little weird, right? So, like, why kill the other guy then? Well, that's at the point where he starts getting like the literal plot powers. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> make sense powers. with what the character they've been building up. Like, mm. if you if you think about it, Q from the very beginning, they always even if encounter a far point, he was always kind of like a pain in the ass. But he never was outright threatening. I mean, Q Hugh, yeah, because he led him to the Borg. But Gary Mitchell, it's kind of like they were they were trying to build up an evil villain. So we're going to kill, you know, random red shirt number blue. But then, like you just said, then he's going to turn his powers on to the main cast. And oh, I'm just going to knock him out. Yeah, with his weird little, like, static, static shock zap. I mean, it would make sense if he's trying to prove a point to Kirk because they've known each other so long. Like, you know, we've been traveling in space and you look at you, you're still just... You're just captain of a starship, and look at me. I have I have the powers of a god or something. And I think that was definitely part of it. Like, I think that that was... They, they telegraphed that that's kind of what he was doing, was pulling his punches against Kirk. Because when he was blasting against the uh, force field that they trapped him behind, his, his eyes went normal, and then he was just kind of Gary for a second. So, so I think there were those flashes of recognition that there were maybe why he wasn't going whole hog on on Mr. Kirk. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Now, of course, having Kirk and Spock zapped with lightning does explain why they might have built up an immunity when God does the same thing in Star Trek <laughs> right. V. Uh-huh. Barely phased by it. Are we still going to pretend that Star Trek V is actually part of the overall timeline? Of course it is. It was a nightmare that Chekhov had. They they all sat around a campfire and ate marshmallows, man. That's happened. the best <laughs> You had to say marshmallows, man. Can we, can we <laughs> slipped it, you slipped it in there. You didn't think I was going to react. <laughs> but that was, that was another thing I was thinking about was... Um, so it affects people who have this high ESP test quotient, which is apparently mm-hmm. just the the doctor and and Mitchell. But Spock, it doesn't do anything to who is legit telepathic as a Vulcan. Y- not yet. Well, yeah. <laughs> Remember, he's only half Vulcan at this point. No, they say his ancestor. Well- uh, married a human yeah woman. it's it's not his mom it's it's one of his ancestors so he just has like he's like an eighth uh a, an eighth human on his grandmother's side or something like that i noticed that too so it is interesting right to see and i think that's why i like this episode so much is that it lays a bunch of seeds for stuff that they would figure out yeah. later right so like the 3d chess is something that stays in star trek forever um but the spock stuff changes so much who in his family is human how human is he what does it mean to be vulcan the the vulcan mind meld the nerve pinch all of these things are going to come later and we are still with this weird guy who claims to not have emotions but definitely takes a ton of pleasure when he annoys kirk during the chess so, game. Derek, when you call this like an episode laying the seed for the future, would you almost call this like a space seed? <laughs> oh, he said the thing. Guys. I love it. Not, not cool. You know I don't know what that means. 
<laughs> you will. Space Seed. You will. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks when we review Space Seed and Miri. Uh, two episodes we'll do in a couple of weeks. Space Seed is the con oh, episode. Oh, God. We have to actually watch Miri again? Uh-huh. We do have to watch Miri, yeah. That's bad. We're going to have to watch some rough ones. It's going to happen. But we'll have fun with them. We'll have a lot of fun with them. Okay, I haven't seen it. Um, it's not rewatch. It's watch. Well, for you, it's a watch. For me, and I mean, I'm not, I, don't, I can't speak for you, Greg, but I've seen these episodes a lot. Uh, no. <laughs> I, every series except for Enterprise, I have seen probably five or six times each episode mm-hmm. yeah i got yeah. that with ds9 and next generation but that's it in fact i watched this one so uh just like with the cage if you have the blu-rays of the original series uh season three has this weird disc at the end uh that includes the pilots and it includes a special unaired full cut of where no man has gone before which is the cut that was shown to the network it's not the cut that was aired. And it's super weird because it actually has title sequences for each act. <laughs> so it's like a like a formal presentation? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's an older style of television. Um, and like the, the title sequence is completely different. The music is completely different. So it's just it's a really interesting experience to kind of see the different versions of it. So when you watch it as a normal episode, it fits in with the show a little bit better. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. But I like watching them in this order, though, getting this one out of the way, because everything else looks like what Star Trek looked like. You know, they're, they're wearing the correct uniforms and the colors. Spock's uh, eyebrows are, aren't running away from his face quite as much. Um, you know, you've got the main crew with – well, Chekhov comes in later. But you've got, you know, Sulu's in, you know, in, on the bridge. Uhura's there. Bones is there. You know, and uh, those the show settles in after this one. Is the one after this one where they get their real uniforms? I mean, sort of. So it, it's it's a little confusing, right? Because you have to talk about like, well, what what order are you watching the episodes in? Um, and you know, so the the first episode to ever air uh, was the Man Trap, which uh, very famous episode which actually is not on our list of ones to watch because it turned out to be fairly mediocre. Uh, but uh, it's, not, it's not good enough for us to watch, and it's not bad enough for us to watch. Exactly. But they have all of their uniforms back. Everything looks the way it's supposed to look. Same with the episode after that, which is Charlie X, which we will watch in a few weeks along with Devil in the Dark. And in Charlie X, everybody looks you know more or less the way they're supposed to look. Um, except for Charlie. Charlie wears weird weird stuff but um the show just looks normal after that because basically after where no man has gone before the show is picked up at that point and they were able to settle in and part of the reason where no man has gone before looks the way it does is that while they wanted it to be brighter and more vibrant to help sell sell the, the color tvs they still didn't have a huge budget because this was now a second pilot so they had to reuse as much as they could from the cage, which meant, you know, similar ship model and meant the same props for like the phasers, a lot of the same uniforms. But then when the show was greenlit and NBC wanted to sell their television, they're like, we need this to be as bright and vibrant as you can make it. So that's where the classic colors come in. It's, um, 
it's interesting that even on that that budget limitation, there was a really cool sequence in this one with uh, the Enterprise flying around and it like banked in kind of a hard way and went through some energy clouds. Like it was it was a good looking shot for for what they were working with. So now, okay, so I've never watched this on Netflix. So I don't know which version of it you're watching because the entire original series was remastered. Oh, I don't know. And when the when they did the remaster, it's not it's not like the next generation's Blu-rays. In the next gen Blu-rays, they went back to the old 35 millimeter tape and did not replace anything that they didn't have to. So as much of the special effects as possible still look the same with a few exceptions like the crystalline entity but in the original series they basically redid all of the visual effects well whatever it was it looked pretty cool so did the ship not look like it was on fishing wire it didn't (laughs) it was it was a good good looking shot but yeah if they if that wasn't original then i can't give them too much credit for it so wait greg how did you watch it well i've I've seen both i got the blu-ray and i've watched it on netflix a bunch of times do you, know, do you know which version's on Netflix? The one on Netflix is not the same one as the Blu-ray, though. Okay. I'm curious now. Now I gotta go check, out, check it out on Netflix. I'm very curious. I don't know which version that is. And that's the confusing part, because Star Trek at one point was on Hulu, and I remember watching mm-hmm. it on Hulu, so now I gotta go back and research, because it's, it's been on like five different formats, and they keep changing formats. Well, right. Like last I checked, the TNG stuff that was streaming is not the quality that the Blu-rays it is are. Not. So, well, excuse me. I think the middle to later seasons are, but the early seasons are not. That's so confusing. So, okay, Greg, you'll appreciate this as a big Game of Thrones guy. So, it turns out that the like the streaming of game of thrones is a lower quality than if you wait to just watch it on demand later i'm not surprised by that at all (laughs) so like i found that really frustrating because i I did not start with the show when it first aired i had to catch up and after i caught up and like wow the show really went down in quality (laughs) well i mean well the problem is is you know at a certain point like all the colors it's like all a shade of like blue it's like a blue gray Mm. and i'm like oh good there's Hey, you know, Melisandre's back. We get some red. Oh, she's gone now. Wah, wah. Well, when they went to the the islands and the, you know, Oberon, wherever he's from. they Dorn, it, yeah. It's Dorn, yeah. Switch it up a little bit. But Star Trek kind of does the same thing because we were joking about the color of the uniforms earlier. It's, you know, Red Letter Media made the joke. It's like sometimes Star Trek is like J.C. Penney's. It's like, you know, earth tones, browns and beige. Well, what else do you guys want to say about where no man has gone before? Man had gone there before. They knew that. This episode title is a lie. Fair enough, fair enough. Greg? I'm very happy that the episode was successful enough to support them putting more money into Star Trek so we could have 50 years of Star Trek. It's got got its problems, but look, you know... Greg, what do you think was a worst episode where no man has gone before or Code of Honor 30 years later? The answer is Code of Honor is a worse episode. And I'm good with saying that. I'm okay with saying that. Is what is is Code of Honor Next Generation? It's Next Gen, yeah. Oh, which one is that? It's like episode 2 oh, or 3. It's a horribly racist episode that didn't go well at all. 
and look, the, we'll get there. I I think that where no man has gone before is actually a really good episode of Star Trek. I think, and it's rated well too. If you compare it to like it's rated, it's matched with the Enemy Within, which is one of the most famous episodes of the original Star Trek. It's it's a fairly well received episode. I mean, sure, it's not as good as the Corbinite maneuver, but it's a really good episode. And to have that be the pilot and a last ditch effort, I mean, you're talking about like a network never comes back and says, nah, try again. That doesn't happen. Except with you know, Family but, Guy and Roseanne and Will and Grace. No 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 those are reboots. <laughs> I'm talking about a show where the pilot right. was rejected. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't happen. But Lucille Ball believed so much in what Star Trek wanted to do that she helped, and she got the sec- she got the network to agree to do a second pilot. And you know, Gene Roddenberry had three episodes written. Uh, I forget what the third one was, but one of them was Mud's Women. Wait, how did Lucille Ball get in the mix? What are you talking about? She so her production company is essentially responsible for really? Star Trek. I did not know that. Yes. Uh huh. Day Louise, yeah. She, she, if it wasn't for her, Star Trek may never have really existed. Bobby Damned. Yeah. Uh, she was an incredible, like, people know her as, you know, Lucy, right? But the truth is, she was an incredibly intelligent and successful businesswoman who is really very much responsible for Star Trek existing. Um, and, uh, this is, this is an example of that. But we, I mean, we almost got, Mud's Women as the pilot, and we're going to be reviewing Mud's Women uh, in a couple of weeks, but not as the good episode. It's the bad it's a episode. Terrible episode. So yeah, it's awful, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about why. And so, if that had been the script that was picked, then maybe Star Trek never would have been. You know, so, so Jeremy, we got to figure out a week when you're flying back to Kansas City, and over those seven days, we're going to watch every episode back-to-back of the original series <laughs> every episode just take weeks off of work and no we'll watch uh, <laughs> episodes a day we'll be done in what six days Oof. oh That's we can rough, do man. it we can do it <laughs> i'm i'm going to just pass ahead of time oh come on should should somehow we get a huge following and this becomes our career to where i could dedicate a week to that and and have it somehow pay my bills sure but you know a i don't have family that lives in kansas city anymore so i don't have much reason to go there let alone for a week Fair enough. wait a second we Fair are enough. your family jeremy Aww, <laughs> i'll visit sometime you're you're lucky my girlfriend's family still lives there did she move out west uh she's still there she's moving okay. out later okay Sorry, I, I took us off Star Trek topic. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, we, I think I think we've probably covered this one enough. Um, we'll be back next week to do the City on the Edge of Forever, as well as the Alternative Factor, and you can probably guess which is the higher rated episode of those. The City two. on the Edge of Forever um, is the one that they did a start or a South Park spoof of. Did they? I don't recall. I remember because there's there's one where I think some girl moves to town and falls in love with either Tweak or Butters, and she gives some long soliloquy about like the lights, the lights, something, something. And I looked it up, and it was from uh, I think it was that Star Trek. I don't know. Never mind. It's all good. 
Not a big deal. But yeah, we'll we'll get to that next week. So we hope that you will tune in with us, watch both of those episodes, City on the Edge of Forever and The Alternative Factor, both from season one. And uh, bring your thoughts. If We want to know what you think of these episodes. So hit us up, comment, heroespodcast.com or at heroespodcast on Twitter and Facebook. Um, guys, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Zen Munkin. And I am on Twitter and Yahoo at the, the underscore Bittersteel. South Park Season 2, Episode 7 is called The City on the Edge of Forever. Maybe we'll have to do an episode one day of all the Star Trek spoofs that are out there. Oh, that would be a lot of episodes. It. So maybe like three episodes. There we go. That'd be pretty fun. Um, and I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook, primarily on Twitter. Come follow me. Talk Trek and video games with me. Thanks, everybody. We will catch you next time. Stay classy. Peace out. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.